They're waiting for you. Clap your hands. got secrets <laughs> okay jack and agar where do we begin <laughs> where do we begin oh episode nine thank you for joining us yet again welcome gentlemen friends hello this is game of bones a podcast i i, got, I have nothing i really don't <laughs> know what else what much to say this is uh this has been a big day we recorded now this is sort of like what our normal episodes entail, where we record directly after the episode's aired. I haven't actually spoken out loud to anyone about this episode yet. Ooh. So this sort of, I feel, I feel is maybe the same. I'm not sure if you yourself, Eric, or you yourself, Micah, have had the same experience. I think with the main difference here being that we've gotten to see hundreds and hundreds more owns than average before recording our <laughs> episode, which is cool. Definitely. Yeah. We we get to see the owns sort of in advance as opposed to as they're coming through and we're in the midst of recording. But I will say I'm not sure how many of them would be considered owns as opposed to just being complete vitriol that's been thrown that's the true. way of one Stannis Baratheon, oh. which I guess in a way is an own. Uh, but we all know uh, what took place last evening. Okay. <laughs> Let's just talk about it. All right. Oh, Let's just talk about it. What the? F- <laughs> yeah, I, I have no words. You know, sometimes you just can't describe how you feel when you watch a scene, and I I was left completely shocked and devastated for that poor girl. This is this is fitting. I just looked up vitriol, and of course, one meaning of it, the more common <laughs> meaning, is cruel and bitter criticism. You know, I I Google words I don't quite understand, uh, but the That's archaic good. literary definition for vitriol it's a good practice i think uh the archaic literary version means sulfuric acid was called vitriol so i mean i i it's there there are very few deaths that i can imagine to be worse than that of poor poor shireen baratheon right now and it's uh, suffice it to say i am no longer team stannis uh i think <laughs> Some of us would (laughs) evenly killed right now. Listen to how evenly killed you are speaking. Uh, So, so uh, team Stannis uh, disappeared faster than those sellswords did. Yeah, that's maybe it's because we didn't record last night. But this is this is not easy for me. I had I had all these expectations. I've been built up. You've all listened, listeners of the show. Mm -hmm. This wasn't just done in the last season for us. This has been a step by step process that you've been a part of. Ever since Stannis stopped being as much of an asshole as he was in mid-Clash of Kings, this has been a process to grow toward a character that we appreciate. Do you remember the things with Axel Florent? Do you remember finally bringing Davos out of the abyss and making him the man that he is, calling him his hand, and what kind of moments those were? And then seeing what we saw in the seasons following, and then seeing what we saw in this season. And now we have this disheveled multicolored, facial-haired, somber fuck-up of a situation happen. Yep. What are we supposed to do now? He rode to the wall last season. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. All we can do is pray for her soul, right? She was an innocent. She was pure. 
And that sort of thing doesn't last long in Game of Thrones. Not an excuse. Not one single excuse. On a real level, though, I understand mm-hmm. how, of, the, of course, the fact that Shireen was taken out at all, but in the manner that she was, with the visceral screaming, the scene mm-hmm. that we all saw together. I don't need to go into it. I've rewatched it. The fact that we've very tangibly, and by we, I mean us three, but also everyone that listens, everyone in the community that I've seen filter in their thoughts over the past day, not even a complete 24 hours, everyone has truly lost something. It's not only a character in the show. We've lost sort of this... Any innocence that remains. So many people rallied around the menace. Do you remember the Manus? Just it was a, it's a rallying call, and I've seen photos of people tearing decorations off their walls. Now this is a real yes. thing. It was a redemption arc for him to becoming a better, better person. And I got to point out one of the videos I watched today was our good friend Ozzy Man from Ozzy Man Reviews, and I think it's just called Stannis the Two Face, and it's 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 literally the video of him declaring his love for his daughter, telling the story about how he saw it all of the maesters out when she first contracted Grayscale to, to, to help her not yeah. die. And and then that's conjoined with the video of, of them leading her to death and her calling for him. And it's, it's, it's gut wrenching. It's absolutely, it's the, the feels have all been brought. And I, I really don't think anybody could, could say it um, or anybody said it to me better than my girlfriend who said this while rewatching. She said, you know, speaking about Shireen, that's her last memory in this world is, your, her parents being like, fuck it, torture. Like, it is just a complete loss of everything that's proper. Your parents are supposed to protect you, not sacrifice you to their god. And that's the only child, too. And I think Celise, you know, was moronic to not realize it sooner, but we've seen the corpses of the, the fetuses uh, that, that did not make it into this world. If you have one daughter who grows, if you have one child who grows into such a, a an innocent, book-loving, wonderful human being, you protect her, okay? You take her away from this ill world. You you get a hut on a rock somewhere, and, and, and you fucking... It, it's the last thing you do is protect that. And, and, and unfortunately, this is not... These are not the Baratheons as, as parents. Uh, they, they fall a little short. Minutes into A Dance of, of Dragons, Micah, and we haven't even mentioned the dragons. This is good. <laughs> yeah, it's it was a show called A Dance of Dragons. Shireen is reading the story mm, uh, with yeah. the very same name, and of course she ends up with the fate of being burned alive. So, Zach, you really... What you were saying before about how Stannis was almost redeemed after everything that he had done... Early on in the series, killing his brother, he rides to the wall. He is able to help the Night's Watch defeat the Wildlings. He's broing it up with John, giving him head nods after mm-hmm. he kills Janna Slint. And he has that very tender moment with his daughter at the wall. Yeah. And here we are a few episodes later. And it was Davos who had the very tender moment with Shireen in this episode. And I think that's probably when most viewers got a sense that things were not going to turn out very well. And I was completely devastated by this scene. And what bothered me more than anything else was that Stannis was 
very tactical in this. He sent Davos away more so so that he wouldn't intervene right. than he did for any other reason. Because if you remember when Davos first propositions him, he doesn't want to think about going back to the wall or, or getting provisions. And then all of a sudden he reconsiders and he reconsiders because he realizes that the only way that he can possibly turn the tides is if he does what Melisandre has asked of him, and that is to sacrifice his blood. And damn him, because I know Davos would have jumped in there. Absolutely. And damn those men too. All those men stood by and did absolutely nothing. Well, you got to figure that a lot of them are crazy anyway because they've followed Stannis this far, right? I mean, th- here's a man— That's not an excuse, for, No, for, No, it's not an excuse. They're all equally guilty of, of uh, Shireen's death for not, for not stopping it. But this is the god that they worship, and I'll be damned if in the very small, short, 30-second preview of next week's episode, we didn't actually get some sort of— I don't know if it was meant to please us or make things better, but there is apparently— and I don't spoil myself on this every week except for that preview that they put at the end of each week's episode. But there is a dramatic shift. Yeah, man, chill out. There's it's a dramatic right. shift in 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 the weather. In, in there is icicles, the ice is melting, the snow is melting. Melisandre has a line that says, uh, the Lord of Light has made good on his promise, my king. Does it matter? Does this affect how we feel about Shireen knowing that it fucking works? Like what does this make Stannis, though? You look at somebody like Jaime, who is oftentimes called the Kingslayer. We have Tyrion, who has committed patricide. But now here we have Stannis, who has killed his own brother and who has now killed his own daughter. Mm-hmm. All to... What about everyone else? Please a god. Well, clearly, he didn't read that book, <laughs> Dance with Jagged. He did not take his own daughter's advice that the civil war among the family, like the family never truly recovered. She said the right. Targaryens never truly recovered from that. He he is he's not he didn't listen to to that insight. But isn't it amazing though how they're able to write characters so that in one episode, one moment from one episode changes everything that you felt about a character for the past couple of seasons. Yeah. And that was a process to get to the point where it could be dramatically changed. Yeah, it was re earning of trust almost. Yeah. And like I said before, and I know that it's 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 emotional, but it is. We think about what we just saw in Hard Home. Let's not forget who was the first person to answer the call of the men at the wall when the ravens were sent. Who took it seriously and who gave us that uplifting and hopeful finish to the last season? Who's been there in this season? And who's gone the way of history and sacrificed a child, someone close to him, for the gods? to achieve an end, Stannis. And it was someone that we've grown to know through the show, and that has definitely added a larger value onto the death. In a show and in a story and in a world where we see so much death, it's basically a meat grinder. And an episode where we saw a pedophile, and an episode where we saw many people die in a large, you could call it a battle, what took place Mm. at the pit. But when this one person passes, such an emotional reaction takes place because of the the way that it was built and the way that it was structured and the way that it was executed. It says a lot for not only the writing, but the composition of the story. And it says a lot for the kinds of people that fill our story. So our job as viewers, as readers, 
in this world <laughs> is to do what you said in the last episode, I think uh was, Eric, to just keep going. You just have to <laughs> <laughs> It's hard when we you just don't have want to anymore. <laughs> we just have to move forward. Let's you not do. forget how how impactful it was the ending of the eighth episode. And then they had to move on and leave right. the water and approach the wall and put themselves in front of humans that are significantly less threatening than the dead and the evil cold that they just faced. And they have to basically prostrate themselves in front of the wall where a battle had just taken place in the previous season, a massive battle that when we look back on it now looks like the most ridiculous skirmish you can imagine because these are two peoples that are the same, that are fighting over uh, a storied cause that makes no sense when you compare it to what has just happened. I have have felt that specifically... Yeah, rewatching this episode because with the insight of the dead coming, you're just like, wow, looking back, it's exactly how you said. Exactly. And we're in this episode where John walks through the wall and it's such a different world now, not only post hard home, but just it's been a slow creep into that moment. The snow's falling harder, there's giants walking around Castle Black. Stannis has shifted yet again by murdering his child. Yeah. I mean, this is this was in episode nine, and again, that's not mentioning the things that have happened out east. This was different, but it was in episode nine. Yeah, no question. It, the The level of impact was just felt at different levels because you didn't necessarily have to get that one defining moment that you felt altered the course of the entire series, like let's say the Red Wedding or going back to season one. With with Ned, although I would liken this a lot to Ned because I remember sitting there just thinking to myself, why? Why? Yeah. What the fuck just happened? <laughs> and I felt the same way after that happened to Shireen. Well, they on, they honored her. The showrunners honored her with the Ned Stark death, with the episode nine death uh, that that really I mean, you could call Danny's husband's death. A death that happened in this episode. But that was ouch. C- come on, I uh, you know, Shireen is the martyr here, and and is the death that that again akin to Catelyn Stark and Rob Stark, their death in an uh, episode nine as well. This is this is where the show's heart is, and they know it, and the show's heart traditionally gets pulled out from under it or pulled out of it in episode nine. And that's again, not an excuse for the terrible thing that was done. And you know what I was mentioning before about not no longer being on team Stannis. I understand the need to move forward and I'll be very interested as I was trying to say about how the red God works. If this is something that what Stannis is trying to achieve actually actually affects, it doesn't change what he did. He's a horrible person for doing that. He's the worst man alive and he deserves to die, but he probably will. I'm pretty confident he will. But I want to see in order of in, in in order to gain insight into how the world works, I need to see what is the falling action of her of Shireen's sacrifice. Uh yeah. because that will that will grant us insight. I mean, it's not something that Melisandre can can I guess trick is to to melt to have a a warm spell or whatever that's going to allow Stannis's men to move forward even with the dreadfully small supplies that they have left and it it's going to it needed to happen Stannis needed to cross that threshold to, to do that because he didn't before he's always been brave they've I some of the listeners have have pointed this out you know over Twitter too that you know he withstood the siege uh for so long 
you know, years and years back. And he has said in this, even in this season that how, how many lengths he went to, to protect his daughter, but he needed to cross it because Melisandre has been spoon feeding him this Azor high bullcrap uh, all this time. And he needs to see what's on the other end. He's taken it for his sigil. He's taken the red God for his God. And this was his, his, he was desperate, perhaps too out of characterly desperate, some would argue, but he was desperate enough to do it. And, and he needs to see if this religion thing has anything to do with it. Otherwise, Melisandre is going to be the next person up on the pyre guaranteed. So with that said, who do you want to win? Ramsey, Roos, Stannis? Oh, can't they just all kill each other? Like, can't they seriously? Like, I don't, I'm glad that Ramsey didn't get to Shireen. Can I say that also? Is that not unfair to say? Well, that, I mean, that raises an interesting question from my side though. And it's something I thought about as soon as the episode started. And I, tweeted about it during the episode and and maybe a bit indirectly but how did melisandre with all her powers not see that coming i think she did a little late right she's just staring in the or fire. did she decide to let it happen because she knew what the consequences of those actions would be do you know. remember at the beginning of the episode she was looking into the fire seeing let's call it what is to come and she mm-hmm. steps outside before the flames ignite mm-hmm. she was either expecting it or felt its oncoming presence. And then, of course, they sort of decorated the tent city in a very strategic way. Good on Ramsey for pulling that off. That's amazing. 20 good men. High five to that. And also, before we move on much further, I'd I'd like to say hats off to David Nutter and to everyone behind the show for crafting, uh, particularly in Stannis' camp, it was just an amazing amount of space. I felt like it became a real place there as we were bouncing back to it um, between cuts of, of other bits of story. And uh, particularly that opening scene was just really beautiful in the dark. I, I don't know. It was fun to me. Yeah, I mean, no, the, the fact that they, Ramsey and his 20 good men, scouted out where all of the, the food was, I mean, and the siege weapons were were hidden. The food stores and the siege weapons in the dark, no less, is... To look, to, if they pretty much have to open up every tent, but without being seen, it's really an amazing feat that they did that. If they did that, I mean, it's it would be weird to say that it was some sort of treason on the part of like Melisandre, but to, like the fact that in the previous episode we hear that Ramsay needs twenty men, and now she created a a, a terrible terrible thing that everybody estimates was caused by twenty men. It was probably Ramsey and his men, in which case that's kind of amazing scouting to do in the dark. See, you mentioned the more we talk about Melisandre, the more I just, for one, I don't care if she <laughs> if she's betraying Stannis. I think that if, if all of this is real, after, like I said, I, I keep harkening back to Hardhome, but Hardhome happened. OK, if all mm-hmm. of this is real um, and she does have a waypoint with this deity that is doing these things like with Thoros, like with Danny, et cetera, et cetera. And let's say Stannis is or isn't Azor Ahai. She's she's going to do whatever is in her best interest to make her plight reasonably happen. And after what Stannis has done to Shireen, um, he has lost his soul, in my opinion, and his connection, his good, his goodness, uh, in his plight. So I no longer support him either. And uh, that's not a political stance where I'm just like, I don't think that <laughs> your vote on this matter makes any sense. I just, yeah. I, I think that. I think that that level of sacrifice to achieve your ends is not honorable. I think that it's not what someone like he would have looked up to 
Ned, for example, would have done. I think Ned would have looked for a different route or maybe tried a little harder instead of mm. going the route of, of the supernatural. So long story short, I, if she's betraying him or if she sees a future in which John is actually Azora High, if, if the stare is between the Night's King, I didn't get to be on the follow-up episode last week. Uh, so that mm. sucks. Talk about well, it. I'm just saying if the stairs between the Night's King and John lead into what myself and a lot of other individuals believe, or if the stairs between Melisandre and he reflect that in any way, or if the power she speaks of, if all of this is sort of a, a formula and either of these men are Azor high, I believe that she has her her path set in her mind. And I, like I said, after what Stannis has done, I don't really care if uh, that has or doesn't have him in his future. Yeah. Well... John's got to make it through Ollie first. Oh, God. <laughs> and and his stairs. I definitely want to talk about the Night's Watch. Regarding uh, what we were just talking about, though, I, there was a, a tweet I couldn't help but see because we retweeted it. Um, but I think it really summarized uh, our feelings pretty well. I give you credit, Eric, because we retweeted about 100 tweets. So the fact that this caught your eye. Oh, well, this is good. I it's am got, very it's impressed. It's got the right hashtag, I think, for, okay. for the thing. The but, right uh, one. Amy, Amy T., and we will be reading many more of these on our follow-up episode this week. But MET wrote, If Team Fire is okay with burning Shireen, then I'm strongly considering the Night's King as my one true king. Hashtag Team Ice. Interesting, right? It's, it's, just, it's just like, okay, but where do we... Like, can we firmly side with the side that wants everything in the world to be dead and cold? Well, to be fair, we don't know their motivations necessarily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. That's it's more of a side effect of of of. of and they've being waited the, what eight thousand years to be able Yeah, they're pretty to, patient. Uh, these these guys are not bad guys. Over this uh, <laughs> land, but I I think that's part of it though. Is that it's it, sometimes it's it's picking the lesser of two evils. There's no inherently good, inherently bad group of people here or individuals. And I think we've talked a lot about this over the life of the show. Is Definitely. that these characters are flawed some more so than others some are better than others more honorable than others some are worse and and more evil and and vindictive and they do terrible things but we're able to kind of understand all these different elements and that's what makes this show so unique is that even when you think you've gotten to the point of picking a side or knowing who you want to prevail it's completely flipped and and you're now facing a man who you thought maybe, just maybe, you could rally behind. Exactly. And he turns around and does something like this, and now everything, all bets are off. There was no hype train for me. There was It was legitimate. I thought about the struggle for the Iron Throne, and after Rob, who was only wanting the North, let that be mentioned, mm-hmm. met his demise— um, obviously for me, it was like, I look towards Stannis for being the person that Ned supported and for, for, you know, the shallow, horrible thing that he did with the, with Melisandre and the shadow person. Uh, it was his little brother trying to usurp the throne out from under him using half of his own bannermen. Like shit gets rough. That's, that's, it's all stuff that we've discussed in the past, so I won't go far into it. But us as a fandom, as a community, like I said, Stannis was this, this like, the savior almost to so many people uh amidst uh amidst you know all of the strife and, and uncertainty and and that remained with the people who who were caught up with the books as well and i don't know it's just now that we've seen and judging from the well going directly from what was mentioned in the inside the episode past 
uh, the airing of this episode, this will happen in the books if George does go through with what he told the showrunners. Yeah, I mean, and, and for me as being somebody who is sullied, that was a big surprise because clearly Shireen is still alive in the books, just like Barristan is alive in the books. So you were slowly but surely being able to count the number of characters when we heard prior to the season that characters are going to die uh, in the show this season that either haven't died in the books yet or may never die uh, in the books at all. So, uh, you know, it's it's a bit of, of a spoiler for those of us who are yeah. silly to find out that this is going to happen to Shireen. It almost felt like a tiny bit of defense against what could be the onslaught of how could you do this, A, to our beloved Stannis or B, to our beloved Shireen. Mm -hmm. Um, but they said when, whenever George said this was part of the story, they were like, oh, wow. And it is powerful, powerful in a sense that it causes this much of an uproar and a, an emotional reaction within all of us. That cannot yeah. be argued. If you have to imagine if David and Dan had that reaction, then they, they obviously felt pretty strongly. And I think the, the scene was done amazingly well and, and kudos to, uh, Carrie Ingram, who's done an amazing job in that role over the course of these last few seasons, ever since she came on screen as Shireen, I think everybody's really enjoyed watching her and just her acting at the end there uh, as she's being led up to that pyre uh, was just uh, really impressive. So I think we're fortunate in that we get all these amazing actors and actresses that come through the show and you know, really take on these characters and do such an impressive job with them. Absolutely. I think it's easy to be overshadowed by the other roles that are in her age group in such a populated show. But um, I was thinking before it had happened in her scene with Davos, how how fluid and powerful the performance, how simple it was and how much it truly felt like this was a conversation between two friends. Yeah. I, I wrote I wrote in my notes that uh, the wall that John came back to is, a, is an entirely different wall. The Night's Watch is now equipped with eye daggers. Everybody's staring at, at John, and, and he kind of is looking around the courtyard and notices the men and, until the giant comes through, and then everybody looks at the giant. But, yeah. but basically, people are giving him the eye daggers, and it's, it doesn't bode well knowing that, that episode 10 is no longer a, just a falling action episode in this show. Um, it's, it's, you really wonder where the scene's going to end in terms of his safety, in terms of the safety of the wildlings who we now, dare I say, care for, um, you know, they, they, they seem to make it all the way through the wall without causing a fight. They're decent in, in that regard that they don't immediately cut. They just left hard home. Think about it. <laughs> cut everybody's throats. Yeah. Maybe they would normally, but they've just been browbeaten by reality enough to not cause a fight but there were there were men of the night's watch saying they'll slit our throats in our sleep as soon as they come through you know it's just like that's not happening right now okay they've just as you said zach they're they're recovering and and they just wanted the passage now they got it they owe the night's watch something yeah uh, definitely it's, it's massive massive shock value for them right now and i think if the night's watch saw what they saw at hard home then they'd all be very much willing to live happily ever after together on this side of the wall with no issues moving forward. But I think we're meant to feel uneasy for John. We knew that the place that he came back to was going to be 
either the same or a little different in terms of how he's being received. Because prior to him going off, uh, these people didn't think that it was a good idea. Uh, but now that he's back, I think he's starting to feel even more so the ramifications of what he's done. Thorne seems to be at least on his side for the time being. I can't believe that. That Was was anybody else expecting a much bigger confrontation between those two? <laughs> I'm so relieved that Thorne is like halfway decent, that he let them in. It was an uneventful stare. It was beautiful. We got to see John 1-1. Tormund and Carsey's children, and which gave us all like a direct connection to what had just happened in yeah. Hardhome, and Thorn sort of overseeing and basically judging the situation, which I thought was just a bit strange because John is the fucking Lord Commander. <laughs> open the pit, open the fucking gate. No, you know? on the like, ground, he's just a tiny little ant. In Thorn's defense, though, mm-hmm. it's possible he didn't know that John was even there until. A lone figure stepped forward, and he right. saw the flowing hair. So yeah, they don't really have. It was really the hair. I think they gave him. Yeah, away. They it was the really, hair. They didn't really have uh, looking glasses or you know any kind of. What do your elf eyes see? And he lets him in. But it was it was uh, a very different Castle Black seeing wildlings there safely, and even more so seeing a giant there sort of step through and look around and be like, "Well, this is it. This is <laughs> Castle Black. This is where it all happens." And I can't help but to think they were all just a tad bit let down of the ragtag people that they had come to respect and fear as the crows in their adolescence and in their disheveledness and in their glowering looks, especially, like I said, after going through what they had just gone through. I don't know. The world is, is, is large, and it's becoming larger to us, but it's also growing smaller when we see wildlings and giants sharing floor space safely with Men of the Night's Watch. And regarding the Ollie stare, <laughs> it's a, just heavy-handed. Clearly, there's going to be something there. There's got to be, because that has to, has to be the most set up plot point of all time in Game yeah. of Thrones, maybe in any television show ever. J- John know. himself sees that Ollie's just not happy to see him back. I don't know if he makes sense of it, but it's. it's I don't know still- if he's not happy to see John. I think he's not happy to see the wildlings that have just come through. Well, I, I just the, the harken wall. back to Sam's line last week of, oh, John will come back. He always comes back. He, he always surprises you to come back. And I think Ollie really wanted him to just die accidentally or be wrong about the fact that wildlings are people too. You know, and, and not not to go back to Stannis, but just the offer that he sent Davos forward with. The offer to, for the first time in who knows how long, centuries, easily, he offered to staff the wall, to fully man the wall with as much, you know, as many men as as John wanted in exchange for, for their help now. And all 19 castles, you know, he can man all 19 castles if he so desires. And it's it's this, you almost feel like after seeing Hardhome, great. Like, we, we need that. We need Stannis on the throne right now because finally somebody takes this stuff seriously. And mm, I no longer yeah. want to see Stannis on the throne, but that offer is the first legitimate offer, I think, that has probably been made to any Lord Commander in a really long time. The entire realm has forgotten what the threat is. They've forgotten all about it. And, you know, nobody sends men to the wall except for the worst of the worst prisoners. And they have to even go collect them just to make sure they get there. I guess the real threat. This is what's so interesting because we've been, especially now in this episode, it's drilled into our heads, led to believe that the wall was built to keep the wildlings out. That's been almost a direct word for word mentioned from different characters. And we know that in the histories, 
and especially from the tale that we were told early on by old Nan, that there's more to fear than wildlings, basically other men who don't share geopolitical gathering uh, <laughs> north of the wall. But nothing, I guess, has really driven the point home more than and what I thought previously was Watchers on the Wall, that episode, but nothing has driven the, that point home more than seeing uh, just the the terribly quick and unrelenting force, which is the army of the dead driving forward at full speed. Thankfully, the wall is still there. <laughs> yeah, I know that there's many castles that are unmanned, but can you imagine? Like, the wall, a wall this big had to have been. They, they were like, listen, this is our threat. So when the children and giants came together to help Bran the Builder put this wall together, we know exactly now after seeing this past episode why that was done, why that much yeah. work was put into it. I was going to ask whether or not the the Whites or anybody else in that army of ice uh, has the motor skills to, not the motor skills, but like the motion skills, the ability to climb the wall the way that uh, grown men do, um, the way that we see the wildlings do. But then I was thinking of World War Z and how these dead bodies can just probably pile on each other until they get to 900 feet to climb over. I mean, it's... The wall is impressive as it is, but is it enough? And these are the questions we ask. I think that we're, we're led to believe that there's something more to the wall than only its size that's keeping them out. Yeah. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah. You may be right. I'm thinking of the horn that was found in the TV series seasons ago, and I'm awaiting its importance. Wouldn't it be neat if something with the horn happened in this past episode maybe there's some kind of a an anarchy at the wall and someone just blows into it or does whatever they need to do and the wall partially comes down and it's like oh crap oh my god now we have to deal with next season knowing winter's coming and there's a huge crack in the wall Can you imagine like a titanic episode where like the wall is like falling into pieces the way the ship broke apart in like the movie I mean, just crazy stuff. I like that our conversations have gone in this direction. And this is for you, those at home listening. I hope that you've enjoyed it as well. I know we've gotten some very positive feedback uh, recently as the season has cascaded toward its end. And it's a good sign that our conversations have been directed toward what I believe is in-game stuff, where we think about ice meeting fire, where we think about what the implications of the White Walkers furthering their causes, and the same can be said for the magic in the East, and really for our characters like Stannis, um, and how rather rather than what's happening with them specifically, we're even now in an episode where such big things have happened in the present, we're still zooming out and trying to see their overall uh, effect on what will be the end of things. And I think that that's a good thing, because I believe that that's a mark of of smart shaping of the story on the showrunner's part. Right, we're being captivated and we're following that through to using our imaginations to try and guess at what's happening next. And every plot point we can do this with. Every single character we can guess. And there there may be clues, there may be not. More often than not, there's just good acting and good set decorating and we feel like we're in that world and so why not? And there are clues. I mean, that's the thing, especially as it relates to Endgame, is that we don't know what those clues are right now, but we can certainly probably once this is all said and done, go back and watch and say, oh, man, mm-hmm. I should have caught that. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's the fun of it. That's the beauty of it. We've gotten those as the story has. I mean, from the very beginning, we've we've gotten those in your face moments or sometimes more subtle moments that you can catch if you're dedicated or if you're uh, into the series or if you listen to a podcast associated with the series. But now I think it's really doing honor to it being 
the end of the fifth season, like if if we are only going to seven, we're clearly vastly over the hump. And this season very much had a hump. And once it was crossed, I feel it's just its name was Dorn. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> <laughs> we finally crossed Dorn. <laughs> Is it safe to say old Valyria was kind of where we were like, okay, okay, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I mean, know. I I still expect Grayscale to be a big part of of this of this season. I don't really know why, but I mean, the Stone Man was such a really cool scene in that Brian Cogman episode, and we know Jorah's got it, and he still goes around touching people. But I I, I just I really want it to be. Uh, a, a, a big deal. I think it will be. I think that that is, speaking of clues, speaking of pointing things out about the end game and stuff, it just, I don't know, it seems like our attention has been brought to it. It's been leading up to That's the true. hilarious scene. There was all that talk about Grayscale, and now Dura's got it, but isn't telling anybody. And I just, I wonder what, if we'll have to be, we really have to wait till season six to see that come to a head. So where do we go now? We have a few places left on the map. <laughs> just a few. We have Dorne, we have Bravos, we have Marine. These are great vacation spots. I hear that this time of year, <laughs> you can get the free dragon ride in Marine. You, you know, D- Dorne has, <laughs> you know, Dorne has been skipped by, by so many uh, who make this show for so long that we finally did receive scenes of substance taking yeah. place within within the castle walls. Let's let's let's. let's you got do what it. you want, Eric. You let's got Alexander. Go. I finally got a little got bit of what I want. Let's go to Dorne. Okay, we're here. Well, plus I heard they have a dragon on the loose in Marines, so we <laughs> might want to stay away from there. Yeah, for a bit. it's not it's not the ideal travel uh, situation. All right, so we're we're in Dorne. We're uh, we're beautifully lit. We got our robes on. The sun is out. We're garbed, necessarily. Dornish climate agrees with Marcella. Marcella agrees with the Dornish climate. It agrees I feel with a little, me. little underdressed in the chest hair area. Oh. Tristan oh. is putting me Is it because shame. we were just doing our own game about chest shaving? That's the problem. <laughs> My uh, dog, Strike, has been shedding the whole way here. Sorry, he doesn't like to be called dog. Just Strike was shedding the whole way here. I'm currently handling a ball of his... Shed fur. We're all uh, properly, I think, dressed for this Dornish clan. That's where you go from chest hair, from Dornish chest hair. It's your dog's fur. I literally am holding a ball of his fur. It's right <laughs> terrible. It has special powers. Finally getting to see Prince Doran felt like I had, had to rub a magical orb to get it. Um, because finally, we do see this man, and, and he is a pacifist, I think, at heart. It's very, very clear the way that he reacts, the way that he openly states his intentions, the way he toasts King Tommen and says the whole title and renounces or denounces, sorry, uh, Ilaria and, and, and sir, sort of what is unconfirmed, but what is heavily implied to, to have been her efforts, you know, with the threat and everything. I think it was made clear it was her efforts. I know we speculated on that at mm-hmm. points during the season, but knowing right. that it was stolen from Marcella's right. room and the way that Duran looks at Ilaria... It's pretty clear that she she was responsible. I couldn't tell if it was surprise, but, you know, in the later scene with Arya and, wow, in the later scene with Laria and Jamie, she doesn't, like, come up to him and be like, just even if it was just to, like, defiantly keep him guessing to be like, hey, by the way, I didn't send that threat. You know, she could have totally spun it in a way that would have really messed with him. But I think she was... I guess found out, and she's reacting to being found out. I don't quite so, know. So, I mean, was she found out? It, it's 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 a good question. I think 
it, whether it was her or and sort of an underling who she was able to talk into. Here's where I'm confused. We had what I thought was a very compelling discussion about where that could have come from, the, the, the threat, and what those implications could be if it wasn't from the obvious choice, Laria. And I thought that that was so powerful, Game of Thrones. I thought it, was it was very just, interesting. It was just, I don't know, I, I hazard to give, to give up on that hope. But then Marcella says, I had it here and it was stolen from my room. Yeah. And that's just like, well, there's the payoff on that. There was that wasn't much of a mystery. Yeah, I mean, Ilaria says to Jamie, "I know your daughter had nothing to do with what happened to the man I love." Like, does she? Does she really? Because I thought, I mean, a moment ago we saw her trying to get the Sand Snakes to go and capture her for the purposes of probably killing her, uh, or at least sending her back piece by piece. Yeah, to yeah, Cersei yeah, ex- exactly. To deliver on her promise, like what? Where is the fair-headed? Where was the fair-headed Ilaria there? I mean, Ilaria was. I, I think she was just atoning for the things that she had done in order to she really, really save face thick. with I mean, Duran. Yeah. Because in the next scene, she's bending down and and kissing his hand. Yeah. And I, I think she's doing what she feels she must do not necessarily what she feels is right yeah she doesn't agree with it at all Mm. now it's time to ask the question that has been on everyone's mind ready shall i go ahead why was she there when jamie was meeting with prince duran prince Mm. tristan and marcel why was she there He's letting everybody out of jail, don't you know? <laughs> now this Prince Duran is is it's it's open the gates day. Why why was she there? Why didn't they just you know, here here's your lunch in another room. Yeah. You were just fighting this person, aka trying to kidnap his daughter while he was trying to kidnap his daughter. Maybe not sit here and be part of the royal do you, do you, gathering. Do you think it's do you think it's like the Tywin Lannister approach to parenting, where it's like your kids are butting heads, stick them in the same room, make them lash off at each other? And, and it, it's certainly a question where if you go at it from a story point of view, you're like, oh, well, clearly they, this scene needs to happen because they still need to show Ilaria pouring the wine out that she doesn't care, and they need to see Jamie see that so that he knows there's bad blood. And that Doran sees that, so he doesn't need to do any additional investigating. You know, it's a big time saver to have them all in the same room. Did Doran not know that she would pour out the wine if she disagreed with something? I feel like that's, I don't know. I almost saw it coming. Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, she she has some great lines to him in this episode. No wonder you cannot stand. You have no spine. Right. Like, even, even when he's sort of consented to let her live. But it's funny because when Jamie walks in, it's Doran who says that... We started without you, but started what? Mm. That's what I'm Just saying. the conversation? Right. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was interesting. They made a point to break bread, which I've thought this is oh. a, a guarantee. They're offering Jamie guest rights, so he doesn't have to look and say, oh, this is my final meal. I think it was also, too, that Duran wanted Alaria to see how he was resolving the situation without conflict and yeah, that's putting a good point. Tristan oh, yeah. in a position to take a spot on the small council, giving them presence, uh, their family presence, uh, on a council that's extremely important to the workings of this you know, land and, and this world. And clearly, word doesn't travel fast to Dorne that the Faith Militant have taken over Parts of King's Landing and King Tom is won't locked be up, starving himself yeah. to death. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Lannister is now Hand of the King. So yeah. uh, 
they need to uh, work on their ravens that they send out to uh, Dorne mm-hmm. because far they're south. not informed. Yeah, yeah. Doran's sitting there going, I cannot disobey my king, but it, now would be a good time to because the king is about to you know, be killed or whatever. Well, that's uh, true. Is the, is the king even the king? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Cersei who really, confesses. Who really knows it's a, at this point? It's a tenuous moment. I mean, in moments of great crisis, it's like, don't waste good peril. Don't waste good crisis here. Dorn, you could strike. You could strike. But Prince Doran, I wouldn't necessarily say that he's a pacifist. I say that, I say that he's a thinker, not Pragmatist. reflected by his yes, not 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 reflected by his injury. I think that that's just happenstance, and maybe he does lend into the narrative of his character. But at the end of the day, there's already a structure in place, and they could essentially rise to the top of that structure without any bloodshed, only with just the tiniest bit of diplomacy, which is sending someone back to where they're from with someone yeah. from there as well. No, that's it's a fair uh, point. I mean, they, they are gaining approach. quite a lot from this this result from this meeting. Uh, they are gaining their, well, Tristan gets to be on the small council, Marcella, they're, they're giving, but those, those two could still have a union in King's Landing, which then brings further, you know, greatness to Dorne. The fact that Dorne didn't have a presence on the small council for a long time until Oberyn, and then now it can again, it does matter. I mean, it's, you know, if 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 you're not of the type who believes that Daenerys is going to burn it all to the ground in a year or two, um, then being, you know, a seat on the small councils, I don't know, kind of kind of nice. Well, it's easy for us to disregard it because our characters are, the characters that we follow are, are powerful and mm-hmm. influential and are part of the mix, but... To others, the small council of the kingdom. I mean, that's that's a hair's breadth away from the king. That's essentially having the king's ear, and uh, that's true. It means a lot, I, I suppose. I suppose, like I said, it's kind of easy for us to cast that aside. But that's the role that Dorne is playing, and I'm interested to know if this is real because it's almost too nice for this story. It's very <laughs> nice what is happening. Nobody's know? being sacrificed here. Nobody's. It's too kind. That's true. The water gardens are too safe. They, they, poisoned, they poisoned Bronn, but they gave him the antidote right away. Yeah. Um, Though nice. Bronn did get hit pretty hard by oh, Ariel Hotel. That's true, maybe, but, maybe that's oh. maybe that's the point. Like Dorne is actually just as nice as Oberyn said it was. Like it's actually just a step away from uh the well, the closest thing to heaven that exists on that world. Well, they uh you know, Bronn struck a prince and the prince forgives him. He I mean yeah. literally the strongest punishment he asked of Bronn of the Blackwater was to be hit elbowed in the face by Ario, which is not fun, but I will take that over death and or other things. Yeah. yeah. Perhaps some soup instead. <laughs> Great line. Yes. And I know that this conversation has been rather serious. Actually, this episode and the previous ones have been kind of, you know, up there because that's the moments we've been given with the show. But Braun, bringing, bringing it back, I feel like old school Game of Owns, like the pie's good. Or the pie looks good. Like, <laughs> yeah. Wonderful moment uh, injected in the middle of that. Uh, killing it. Killing it, Bron. Yeah. Just killing it. He has no... He does, I mean, I guess... I didn't want to say, He clearly realizes that he's in, like, the heart of the palace. And he's just like, oh, ooh, pie. There's pie. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and when Doran asks him about the, the Knights of the Blackwater, he's like, just the one. Just like the one. He, you're speaking to royalty here. I think it's important to note that he did apologize to Doran, or to Tristane, the moment he yeah. met him again, which was cool. Even though it was only a flea bite... Uh, he makes his way uh, safely, and it's looking like the poison 
that poisoned him uh, from the blade is has been remedied. We were scared that it hadn't been remedied yet, and it's right. looking like he's okay. And that's probably the biggest bit of silver lining from this episode. Yeah. I, I agree. Uh, felt so that great. Braun is Braun's okay is okay. the most important thing because he's really the one – no, that's not true. I was going to say like he's the one – breath of fresh air that's still left that we all enjoy <laughs> he's a breath of fresh air micah that's mm-hmm. fair yeah i mean Tyrion's another one he is but uh Braun is always good for a few laughs and a good song they would be best pals you know uh, of course tyene also possesses a good antidote to being slapped very hard in the hand which is to turn around and slap your sister in the face you guys ever played that game that game uh no i, I think more fists were involved than and slaps. Oh, Micah, mm. yeah, with siblings, broke yeah. some, broke some faces. <laughs> this was a, this was a interesting type of scene between all of the sand snakes. Uh, it, it was almost like they were playing their version of the game of faces. Yeah, I mm. thought so, but with no words <laughs> and and no need to decipher truths from lies. But with faces, I, maybe I just missed it. I I didn't really get the point, but I feel like there was definitely one and it yeah, may yeah, have just yeah. gone over my head. It's reflex. It's, it's reflexology. <laughs> it's, it's you'll be a good, I mean, you, you'll be a better warrior if you can react in a way that's quick. Like it's like quick, like a bunny or no, that's wrong. That's Jimmy John's. Uh, I love gosh. Jimmy John's. Sir, did you know your house was on fire? Yes, I did. Grab I can't a believe this is the first time Jimmy John's has ever mentioned. I like cannot mention. We love Jimmy John's. Hearts <laughs> out to everybody at Jimmy John's. No, like the quick, like a cat or light as a cat. All the stuff Arya was learning. It's, it's. I, I, I draw the parallel there. Um, in, so you're in saying of, the mm-hmm. sand sank scene has separated you from your Game of Thrones brain. You're having a difficulty. You're having difficulty accessing that part of your brain, trying to analyze this. Now scene. I just want a Big John sandwich. Is what I want, <laughs> or maybe a Pepe, but. No, I, you know, the, it's about building reflexes. I think that much is clear. Um, and hurting your siblings or whatever you could call them in relation to each other. Um, I, I believe it's more than their dexterity, literally their dexterity uh, between one another. I think it's more than their physicality and who who is the better mover. It's a game but, of wits as well. Well, that and decorating their personal relationship. Uh, mm-hmm. and further advancing the kinds of people that they are. This being the ninth episode, I hazard to believe, especially after Ilaria has, uh, I guess, presumably righted wrongs on her knees with the prince mm-hmm. and is beginning this sort of, I guess, connection that she sort of has to do by mechanic with Jamie. Um, the Sand Snakes aren't finished yet. We're in this ninth episode, and I believe that we all expected more time and more with these characters. But now that we, like I said, have reached the end of the ninth episode and the finale is next week and they're still in prison and we are still getting (laughs) this kind of character development, is it safe to say that they're going to be crucial or have some kind of role in the next season? Like, was this just a really long setup for them? Yeah, I wonder. I mean, they, they, they don't appear... Their expressions are mixed when Alaria is on her knees. And, and and you do wonder if they're going to be as easily uh, convinced to fight for her again, whether or not they felt the cause was just and would, I don't know, have the strength and gall to, to take it up on their own, or whether or not that's a moot point now that Marcella is going to be leaving anyway. You, you do wonder what uh, sort of task or what position, what really uh, their life 
has uh, ahead of them. Yeah, it's going to be just a, a guessing game, I think, as to whether or not they're going to appear in the next season. I would think that Doran would still have a role to play in how all of this shapes up. But I, to me, there was a sense of finality, at least for the time being. I felt like we saw the end to hmm. what we would see of Dorne for this season when Ilario was bending down on one knee, kissing Doran's hand, and the Sand Snakes were standing by watching, and you were trying to figure out in their mind whether or not they really agreed with what was happening or they disagreed. It was it was hard to tell. They didn't give quite the Ollie stare. Uh, <laughs> but I, I feel like we've we're done with Doran for the except maybe we'll get some scenes of, of Jamie and Braun and Tristane and Marcella on the way back. Mm. But outside of that, I just don't know how much more there's going to be unless they're going to develop another plot line that we're going to have almost as a, a cliffhanger heading into the next season. This was season five, Dorn. Yeah. yeah, I know it was shit. <laughs> Sorry, I mean it, it. It was certainly knowing that it's one of the seven kingdoms. Um, you know, it, certainly the amount, the minute amount of screen time that that Dorn has received was is questionable. I mean, I I, I always felt that uh, perhaps, I, you know, in those in those videos where they talk about this is the season we go to Dorn. Uh, you know, I, I did expect it to be a, a major player, but m- maybe this was it. Maybe this is just uh, almost a pit stop that gets Jamie out of the events of King's Landing, which are the more, you know, center uh, of the of the story. And this is just where he, where he is uh, to excuse him not being able to protect Cersei for whatever's going to happen to her. And, you know, in the meantime, you do meet these people who maybe will hopefully have a big, bigger role in later seasons. I mean, they they, they went through they went to great lengths and filmed an entirely new country to secure these scenes and to see them not amount to any of the ace, you know, sort of biggest parts of the storyline in this show does make you question, well, why not the Greyjoy plot instead? Or, or, you know, wasn't it Micah who said that that was a different plot that was like, it's almost as if they chose Dorne instead of doing that. Well, you know, the question is why. The question is, you know, what do these characters who we've we've only just met Doran basically, uh it, to, with any with any decent amount of, of character development uh in this episode, but what role does he have to play in the future? And, you know, will we see more of Dorn? If not exiting, will we go back there one day? And who will it be that goes there? And why? What for? The Dornishmen it's said that they have a perhaps a hand in the battle to come regarding the dragons that they were particularly good at defeating them maybe that maybe that's where it'll all come back to dorn this this could all be the case or this sense of safety this sense of almost jovialness between the sand snakes and really our only connection is with brawn they haven't had dialogue with jamie mm-hmm. uh, that could fall out from under us in this next episode we have one episode left there's like a last chance for that to turn into something to turn into something different, but I think that you really hit the nail on the head with. Yeah, I mean, perhaps it's just a casualty of it, of it being a new place. It's like, well, what what were what were the showmakers to say if in this season we stay exactly where we're at? You know, we stay at the wall, we stay at King's Landing, we stay in Marine because nobody else is is going anywhere else. I mean, except for Sansa and Winterfell, really, and Hardhome with John. You know, to be able to say, oh, we go to Dorne is a big thing. Um, 
although it's we know it's not, but it is in terms of this is a new location that we're filming at. Um, it was definitely a big deal for them to secure that palace as detailed in the Day in the Life documentary, um, which is cool. Everything there looks great, but it is it's it's calm, and that makes me ask the question again: like, isn't Dorn just the kind of a nice place to live? It's like the sunny Southern California of Westeros. It's great out here, guys. Seventy three today. Yeah, <laughs> quite. It'll be one of those questions that I think we'll get asked in like the year in reviews or like season review kind of things, like. Is this building up? Was it falling short? And what was the overall purpose? But you did say there is an entire episode left. So really, who knows at this point? Maybe Ilaria, who seems so passionate about avenging Oberyn, is really just playing the good cards right now. But in the next episode, there will be a bloodbath in Dorne. We just don't know. I think it's safe to say there must be an incredible amount of plot left for the for the quickness of, of change that we've seen in the Dornish storyline, mm-hmm. there must be lots of lots and lots of plot left for that to be mm-hmm. a necessity for us to have to move through the ins and outs of what's happening with them and Dorn so quickly. Mm-hmm. I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we like you, Micah. What I can confirm, though, is that Dorn is important to the overall plot, and I don't think that that's stating anything that isn't obvious. And We're there. Yeah. We are there. The show felt that it was important to include it, and I think that we did, despite some misgivings at times, get a glimpse into the culture of these people and to what they value. I think that we saw that from Duran in his conversation with Jamie, with Alaria and with Marcella and Tristane, and as he's trying to really extend an olive branch here and make things work, he's doing it with the best interests of him and his people in mind. He says as much that he does not want bloodshed. He does not want war. There's been enough of that. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And it's refreshing to hear, honestly. Yeah, yeah, it's about time that somebody decided that that was the better solution than what? just What? A man going in charge who and... doesn't want to throw all his men onto the battlefield immediately to stake a claim somewhere? Yeah, it's amazing <sighs> no that way. that exists in the Seven Kingdoms. And so uh, we now have another Martell heading off to uh, King's Landing to take a seat on the small council. We know that the Martells have not fared well in King's Landing. Uh, the last few that have gone there have not come back alive. So I, I fear a bit Fortress Stain, but I liked what was being said earlier by Zach, you know, that you have somebody now who, let's say the two of them do get married, that Marcella has the ear of Tommen, and, and then Tristain can certainly be influential if he's able to really carve out a spot for himself in, in King's Landing. And if it I think still that, matters. <laughs> yeah, assuming Tommen is... If it is, does still uh, matter. Assume, assuming the king. ear of Tommen is not the only part that's left of him. Or if everything isn't covered in ice. One other thing, though, that I found interesting was Alaria's conversation with Jamie about the relationship between him and Cersei and how, yeah. you know, if his name was Targaryen years and years ago, that this would not have mattered at all. Yeah. And I wondered if that had any bearing on the potential future relationship with Tristane and Marcella, knowing that Marcella is born of incest. And that's possibly going to be revealed uh, by Cersei if she does indeed confess right. to her crimes. Would that then mean that Tristane would not really find any fault in that and still go through and marrying her? Because then you know, she's not of the same noble blood. She's not of the same value 
if we're putting it in that type of term, uh, to the Martells and, and to the Martells being a powerful family within King's Landing. Uh, so you'd wonder if the Martells would decide to sort of pull back on those agreements. And I just wondered if, if that was Alaria's way and, and the Martell's way of saying that, you know, in Dorne, we don't care about such things. Love is love. And that's, uh, that's kind of where my mind was going when I was watching that conversation take place. It's always changing who we're supposed to love or not. The only thing that stays the same is that we want who we want. That line is reiterated too in the preview. Jamie says something like that. He says something like, cannot change who we love. He's not shown saying it. It's a voiceover, so I'm not quite sure. You know, it, it does raise a question about, about that conversation between Laurie and Jimmy, what it means, um, how it's meant to make him feel, and whether or not he will be returning to King's Landing in time to uh, change whatever is about to become of the remainder of his family. Yeah, and whether or not Alaria remains faithful to Oberyn's memory, even though he's dead and even though she's sort of sworn filthy again to Doran uh, mm-hmm. this reminder of her love is uh, it being so strong you know through her conversation with Jamie I don't know all, all, a lot of it means a lot I know that's kind of a vague observation but there's there's a lot <laughs> on the table here with what's happening with Cersei and Jamie's return or possible return to King's Landing I mean I don't know it's uh yeah it, and it is really vague, there, and there is a lot behind it, though, because clearly Dorne was put in here for a purpose, and these end scenes, should they be the last few scenes that we see of Dorne this season, were put in for a reason, not just to close things out, but clearly to have uh, influence on things to come, and we really don't know what those things are, so it's going to be fun to yeah. watch. Well, as the the days progress and as more of your owns trickle in, the wall gets chiseled with more thoughts of Stannis, which I knew upon posting this morning, much like David and Dan know when integrating a particularly dangerous and painful thing into the story, posting a portrait of Stannis in his burning Shireen garb would pull some emotional reactions out of the listening audience. And you that's just good. Do it. Mm-hmm. It's good to uh, to feel things with each other. So let's continue <laughs> feeling things over the next handful of days, and we'll approach uh, what is going to be our penultimate episode before this final episode of the fifth season, and uh, of course, our live show, which is going to be absolutely exciting. That's going to be a, a nice little en- enriching bonus in the line of our regular programming for the season. But I think most importantly is going to give us for the first time ever the opportunity to record our episode discussion in person and not just on any episode, but on the finale. So if that doesn't own, I don't know what does. How'd you boys like that for a transition? That doesn't own. Owns. That doesn't own. Well, I'll tell you what else owns. <laughs> our owns for this I episode. I did my best. I did my yeah. best. Good. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah. We you did well. Thank you. I'll go. Mine's very, very simple. Uh, my own is going to Drogon, who in this episode <laughs> did a lot of things that were unworthy. I know, I know, I know. I, I went there. But, uh, but no, this, <laughs> no, this, he's is for, great. this is for something very simple. Uh, just that when he flew in, in the uh, sort of... Um, By the way... You you pick the uh, the character whose chapter it is. You, you're not supposed to do that. 
It's not his chapter. Yeah, spoilers, Mike. It's an geez. allegory. It's an allegory for yeah, what Drogon's chapter. I can't wait to read roar, from his perspective. Roar, Goat tastes roar, great. Roar, roar. Ah, Paragraph go, two. Damn, I roar, burnt a kid roar, again. No, the dance with dragons. I think of the title was meant to symbolize Stannis turning on his own family, the way that Shireen is talking about the Dance with Dragons book being course, about how the Targaryens turned on one another. But anyway, Drogon. <laughs> Drogon let's just loyal. dive right back into the episode, shall we? From boys? his entrance, from his entrance in the big puff of fire to his landing in the stadium, he actually lands on two guys. Uh, <laughs> two unsuspecting, I mean, I guess they're probably this is helipad. sons of the harpy. But I'm going to give the own to Drogon just for sticking that landing. Um, both both talons okay. cl- claw into these guys who are just ground into the dirt. And what you don't know is he's actually been practicing that the entire season. Nobody knew where he with was. Sheep this is where he or was. With little children or no, no. Just there's. It's been an empty pit. No, do you know how many takes it took for them to capture Drogon and that? Oh, Wolverine? he's been in the pit. Oh yeah. They yeah, shot yeah. that in Asuna in Spain, and they were like, all right, Drogon, you know how many times it took for him to land perfectly on those guys, Eric? That's a good own. It must suck to be those guys. <laughs> it's like, not again. Yeah, one more time. With feeling. With feeling, guys. <laughs> yep. Uh, so my own is same part of the realm, or same part of the world. Okay. But uh, different character. My own goes to Tyrion, ah. who turned to his doors, his door, <laughs> his door <laughs> to the left. <laughs> who turned to his dars Lorak and said, "My father would have liked yeah. you." And it's not a compliment. No, that's why it's an own. <laughs> oh, this is difficult. I'm going to be honest to you, my friends, who deserve my honesty, and to the listening public who also deserve my honesty, because we should be honest. In this world, what else do we have other than our word? That is not a quote from Ned Stark, but it could be. I'm stalling because be. my honesty is that I have not thought of my own yet until this moment. Mm. Okay. <laughs> well, we have a handful to choose from over on Twitter if you needed ideas. <laughs> it could go to... Just steal a listener's own. <laughs> Jorah's link roll to a stab to finish out his fight. Yeah. It could go to Daenerys Targaryen for riding away on a fucking dragon. And it's difficult for us not to talk about this yet, but it's going to get its whole episode. So calm down. <laughs> for this week's episode... I'll give my own to Mace Tyrell for surprising us all with his wit and intellect and his back and forth with Mark Gaddis, the banker from the Iron Bank. And just in general, I think, being an excellent diplomat on behalf of King's Landing. He may not be the most respected in the small council, but I think that he was clearly taking care of business in Braavos, which is yeah. wasn't the point, I think, for Cersei's uh, appointment for him. But he was clearly doing his job to a T and dealing with Marin fucking Trent, which yeah, we'll get into that on, on uh, the episode coming in a few days. So um, Mace Tyrell, you're doing it, man. High five. Good man. Good, good, good on. Good on. The way the way he launched into that handshake, and Mark Gaddis was a little taken aback. Like, oh, I feel like Braun has a competitor now, vocal vocal competitor. I'd love to see those two <laughs> gentlemen. They're gonna do a sing off at the end off. of the season. That's how the season is going to end. Oh, well, look, you didn't know that. Look forward Micah to it, it, ladies and gentlemen. Right in. Where were those guys in the uh, Red Nose Day video? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Year. They could have uh, they could have really spiced things up. Those were our owns. Thank you for listening. Yes. Uh, I mean, we have one episode left. 
We're here. It's crazy to think about. I know. And a live show We've in a reached few days. the finale. We're going to be together. I'm going to be able to hold your bodies with my hand as a friend. <laughs> and um, Strike is coming, right? Strike's coming. Uh, it's going to be beautiful. Indeed. And uh, I know we mentioned earlier that we got a ton of owns that were sent in Sunday evening. We retweeted many of them. Many but disowns. we always, always have room for more. Always. So... There are a number of ways that you can get in touch with the show. You can always uh, tweet at us at Game of Owns on Twitter. Scroll upon our wall, facebook.com slash Game of Owns, or shoot us an email, contact at GameofOwns.com. We got some great ones last week from all different parts of the world. It was pretty impressive, like Indonesia, Tunisia. Uh, it was it's To me, it's always cool to, to get those in and see where all these people listen to our show. Very cool. And if you come to the live show uh, in Chicago this next week, and I'll give you Eric or Micah's phone number, and you can send in your owns for next year on that direction. <laughs> Great. My phone's been a buzz. So-and-so sending his own. Yeah. But for actual personal interaction, and I mean personal interaction, this is this is – this is literally handheld cell phone video in some cases. We have released chapters six and seven Yes, on Patreon, which is very, very, very exciting. It is. It is. I've been watching. Uh, I watched all of chapter six. I've been watching chapter seven and listening to us. And, you know, guys, we're really doing a lot to just have an extra level layer of conversation to what we normally talk about on here. And there's a little bit more for everyone to get to know us, to get to know how we feel, how we think about things. A lot of good insight, as well as crazy hijinks. Those were some just... deep convos in this past uh, really chapter were. that we released. I wasn't there for, for one of them, and you, you and Micah got deep into the old school Harry Potter days. It was, it was, that was fun. It was yeah. interesting to, to cut Harry together. Potter and other book series, you got to know yeah. what, you find yeah. out what Micah reads and, and have him talk about it's it. It's not what you think. <laughs> it is not what you would think. It is not Smurf porn at all. <laughs> it's, it and, is not. Well, Eric, you should never discount the power of Smurf porn, but <laughs> don't worry, we do not talk it's about that term. over on Patreon. We could if you want to. Yeah. Uh, we, we take suggestions That's all the not time. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, we really enjoy what we do over on the Patreon. Everything from chapter readings as we go through the Hedge Knight, Duncan Egg. And uh, we have a really fun. cool promo video for that that you should check out that uh, Eric and I recorded uh, in Chicago just a few months ago. Uh, as well as uh, the chapters that uh, Eric and Zach were just talking about, as uh, we we delve into very deep, thoughtful conversation, and uh, even get together with our small council, uh, you know, on a regular basis. So it's it's really a lot of fun. We enjoy doing it. We enjoy hearing from you and and what you have to say, taking your feedback into consideration. And of course, more than anything, we appreciate your support of the show. Absolutely. The support is what has allowed something like this live show celebration of the finale to even take place. And it's what is allowing all of the other things that will eventually come into being as our weeks progress and as our ability to speak out loud about those things progress come into being. So Thank you to everyone involved with supporting the show. To experience all the glory that our extra episodes and content over that we've provided, that some of which we've just detailed at length here, go and visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash goo. You won't regret it. 
It's uh, it's a good time. I'm looking forward to this weekend, guys. Not only for the finale episode, which obviously is the crowning jewel of what will take place, the 10th episode mm-hmm. of Game of Thrones Mother's Mercy, but for what will be a smiling, ambient, beautiful crowd of listeners and Thrones faithful alike in Chicago at Geek Bar. All of the details for our Thrones season finale party taking place at Geek Barb can be found in our show notes. The full list of event details can be found through that link. I'm encouraging all of you who are out there in the Chicago area this weekend, this Sunday, who are looking for an amazing Game of Thrones experience, come out to Geek Bar, meet us, hang out with us, have a few beers with us, listen to us rant for about an hour or so prior to the start of the season finale of Game of Thrones season five. It's crazy to think about. We're here. This I know. is it. I know. We have one follow up episode later on this week to do the owns, to talk about Bravos, to talk about Danny and everything that happened in the pit. But after that, we're in the home stretch. This is it. The finale. Season five. I know what's gonna happen, do you? <laughs> <laughs> oh,